Welcome to China Manufacturing Decoded from Sophist, the podcast where we take you through the major news and topics facing importers and manufacturers in China and Asia today. Hello, hello again to China Manufacturing Decoded. I'm Adrian from the team, joined by Renaud Angerin, our CEO. Hi, Renaud. Hi, Adrian, and hi, everybody. Yeah, hi everybody. Thanks for joining us once again,、uh, Bruno. How's it going at、uh, your end in Asia? <laughs> Mainland China is under a lot of tension, and、uh, as we, as we mentioned last time, and it hasn't gotten any better. It's it got worse, but as, as we kind of predicted, and we've done a couple of. Bonus episodes talking about、mm. the latest developments. So the listeners of the podcast have, you know, can can find them. It's yeah,、um, they're not numbered, but they appear in the in the feed in the list of、mm-hmm. recent episodes. And、um, mm. yeah, we try to to cover it in in a way that responds to the the most common questions, basically. Mm. Yeah, you've written some good blog posts as well. So as ever, links in the show notes. Take a look, guys. So I don't know if I mentioned this is episode ninety-eight this time. So we're closing in on the hundredth.、Mm. So moving away from COVID this time, we're going back onto a series of podcast episodes that we've been doing about sourcing from China. This is actually part six, and over time. We've been exploring how to do your own sourcing from China, so that that's anything from finding suppliers all the way through to getting the products made. We started off with some hard skills. Now we're moving more onto the side of soft skills. And last time、uh, in the series, we covered this in episode ninety-two. We spoke about building rapport with your suppliers and how to keep a good relationship. Now. We're going to look at how closely to follow production. There's two options here: either very closely as a hands-on buyer, or with a bit more distance as a hands-off buyer. So the two two different types of buyers here, or importer, if you like. Let's start with hands-off buyers. So who or, or what is a hands-off buyer, please, Rena? Well, think of. A supermarket, right? So supermarket sells a lot of food. Okay, forget about that. But let's say all the hot goods that are sold in a supermarket, a lot of them are purchased from abroad, and、mm-hmm. you know the supermarket either purchases it through various types of intermediaries. It could be you know importers in their country. Uh, that deliver maybe directly to the the distribution center or even to the stores. It could be、um, trading companies,、uh, maybe in in Hong Kong or in China. It could be directly from manufacturers, and they have so many SKUs, so so many products, right? So、mm. you're talking thousands and thousands of of products. You have this kind of cable and that kind of cable and this whatever. Trash can, tr- trash bin, and、uh, and the the the, the the things to clean, and the things to, you know, it is just amazingly wide range of products, which means they have to work with an amazingly large number of suppliers too, right? 
So mm. when we say hands off, it means that they cannot really follow closely on what happens at every one of the production sites and for every one of their products. They, mm. It's just not economically possible because they don't always purchase very large quantities. And actually, you know, most of the time, and in nearly all cases, it's not their own products. They have mm -hmm. teams of buyers who have been going to the Canton Fair for years and years and years, and and, and they keep they keep searching. Even now, when they cannot go there, they keep searching for uh, for products that uh, that would fit their 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 needs. You know, their customers' needs on Alibaba and global sources and so on. They mm. they don't they don't really know the suppliers. Uh, very often, it's like okay, this this sample is all right, the pricing is all right, they accept all our terms, everything, you know, the time to get it produced. Okay, okay, it means we need to place an order in May, and oh, okay, so it got validated, so we're gonna place an order, and um, we're gonna start with um, with with three thousand of them, and then if it works, then we'll see. You know, that's kind mm -hmm. of the, the attitude. And if later they find another uh, another product that looks nicer, another sample, from another supplier, they would just switch to a new supplier if, again, everything is, is okay and passes their initial uh, review. Mm -hmm. You know, hands-off means they cannot be hands-on. They cannot keep keep following very closely on what happens, you know, maybe being involved in uh, developing or, or adjusting the, the product or anything. No, no, no. Just buy something that's existing. They just want the process to be simple. Here's the way we work. Here's the way we pay. Ta, ta, ta. You accept. We accept your price. Okay, go ahead with that. You know, here's the order. And mm -hmm. we'll appoint such and such inspection company to do the, the inspection before shipment, and that's it. Right? Um, yeah. This is... is the buyer is not involved, right? And uh, in, in many cases, what is driving the choice of the, the products and, and, and of the supplier is price. Because when they, you know, they don't add much value to the product at all, right? Mm. They just buy, basically uh, kind of buy it, get it to the stores, make it available, in in uh, you know in their store environment to their customers, that's all they're doing. So they mm. they cannot sell it for uh, I don't know six times the price, or you know they cannot do a big markup on it. And what what's the different the the, the difference? Yeah, is pricing. So they focus a lot on pricing, and in many cases they end up working with pretty bad suppliers, pretty crappy suppliers. <laughs> that's the um, the sad reality. Right, so mm. I'm saying supermarkets. A lot of buyers of promotional products are in that case, uh, especially giveaway sort of products. You know, but you know, gift and premium in general is like that. They yeah. today they have to find a, a certain kind of pen, and tomorrow is a cap, and the day after is a T-shirt, and then a badge, and then who who knows what. And uh, well, that that means they can't really get to know the supplier, 
And in many cases, they don't even care where it's made. They have a supplier and they don't even have visibility over the manufacturer. Now, this is obviously becoming a bit of an issue with compliance if they're in the EU, especially mm. because if they, if they have no clue where it's made, then really there's not much they can say about the product. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely related to compliance. So that's usually the kind of companies that will be hands-off buyers. We also okay. see some buyers who should be more hands-on, but are very hands-off. And mm. usually it comes down to a lack of experience where they, they, you know, they come to, let's say, to China and then they say, oh, you know, this is my manufacturing partner. And there's a lot of trust in the, the manufacturer. And they, they, yeah, they rely on the supplier to tell them how to maybe how to package the products, uh, what labeling they need and so on, because they don't know anything. And in most cases, they, do, they just distribute an existing product. But in some cases, they they do some adjustments or heavy adjustments, or even they, they develop an, entire new, an entirely new product with this supplier that they haven't visited. <laughs> they just have a call from time to time with one key person. Um, mm. And they, they, yeah, they rely very, very much on that supplier. Well, that comes to a lack of experience because the risk in that case is pretty high. So if your, your key contact leaves the factory, well, everything might go down from there, you know, or if they get busy with something else or whatever, or if you, you trust them so much, you don't even have quality inspected. Uh, and, and what you receive is really not what you thought you were ordering. Right. So mm-hmm. over time, these types of buyers learn from their mistakes and they sort of, they try to find the right place on the continuum between very hands-on and very hands-off. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of sad that in many cases, they start very hands-off just because if you buy domestically, let's say in, in the UK, well, you think, okay, there's like a catalog and then I pick something and and I, I send the payment and or, or, or I wait for the product, you know, uh, I don't need to do much. And a lot of people think it's the same when they come mm-hmm. to, to China or Vietnam or India, but it's not. It's really not. Especially if you've got the supplier or potential supplier who's telling you, yeah, yeah, no problem. Everything's going to be fine. It's all going to be exactly. shipped, you know, such and such. So when you're drinking that sort of Kool-Aid, it's uh, maybe easy to be too hands off. But yeah, what, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. And this is the issue. And this is one of the, the reasons why we do this podcast or create content because people don't always realize exactly what's involved in getting a good result right and and you know that's uh that's what we're trying to do to either provide that that assistance or at least give that information good okay so if you are a hands-off buyer what sort of activities are you going to be doing more of and then others maybe you only have like a light touch of Okay, let, let, let's follow basically the, the typical process of selecting and onboarding a supplier and, and so on. When mm-hmm. it comes to supplier identification and screening, it's 
they might have a few rule, rule, rule of thumb. They might they might um, uh, they might check maybe the web the I don't know the Alibaba page of the supplier and try to get an idea. You know, and and it's it's and sometimes it's more formal, especially if they see that it's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of money at stake. Uh, they they might send an auditor to avoid working with the wrong kind of manufacturer. But again, in mm-hmm. most cases, just look at their supplier. They don't really care about the manufacturer, you know, where it's made. Yeah, they don't go very much in depth, let's say this way, right? Then, yeah, they, they might do a quick uh, check of the legal records, let's say, for example, in China, because it's easy to find if they have an account and everything. They might do some calls. They uh, they might ask for um, factory audit reports from other customers, things like that. Then, do they do they cultivate a backup supplier? Usually not, or or, or maybe they do, but mostly for <laughs> for the sake of comparing prices and keeping pressure on pricing, right? Hmm. Negotiating the the terms. And we covered that in a previous podcast episode. But negotiating the right terms, this is something where uh, they have buyers. And, and yeah, I should mention, I forget that, but hands-off buyers tend to be very much on the buyer side, not on the quality side. So the people in contact with the manufacturers and following up on what's going on with production tend to be purchasing agents, not quality people. Right. Uh, so, yeah, the, the purchasing people will be on top of the terms and and they, uh, they will pay a lot of attention to that. Right. Managing the risks, you know, things like starting small, starting with a small order, in some cases paying by letter of credit. You know, they, 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 they can be quite expert at that. Again, all of the, the, the typical buyer side. Now, hmm. When it comes to documenting their requirements, that tends to be very, very poor, very, very poor. And we've we've talked about the importance of having a quality standard, documenting it, and making sure that the manufacturers know what you require, know what you accept and don't accept. Well, it's, it's just really, 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 really poor for most of the, the hands-off buyers that, that I have observed. I mean, in some cases, when they do inspections, they don't even send a photo of the product or they don't even send, you know, even a description of what the product's supposed to do and what is important. I mean, there's no um, new approved samples in the factories, you know. When we see that, it's like, whoa, okay, you know, that that's a hands-off buyer. Okay, you know, let's take a lot of photos so that they can see what we see in the factory, you know. Uh, but the, the mm. poor, the poor person who who is in charge of quality, who will be reviewing the report, yeah, they they probably totally overworked. We need to make things easy for them because you know that, that uh, they will not spend a lot of time on one case, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let's say production is underway; they have to follow up on the schedule. <laughs> they tend not to get very good cooperation from the suppliers. You know, suppliers are picked usually mostly on price. Uh, 
uh, and yeah, they don't provide much service, let's say this way, right? So will the buyers, you know, send someone to the factory and things like that? Usually no, usually no. Now, I, I talked a bit about quality inspections. Usually they only do a final inspection and usually it's only when the, the risk is, is not very low. So if it's a small order uh, and the, the, the product category is not very risky, they will not really worry about that. They will mm. just um, to say, you know, uh, just skip it and, and we'll see, right, sort of. And yeah, in the, the last podcast episode on this series of, uh, of, of episodes about sourcing from China, we talked about building good rapport with suppliers. Uh, well, if you pick your suppliers based on price and you don't spend much time training them on anything, you know, do you think the relationship is going to be very good? Usually, usually it is not. Mm. It is more adversarial than cooperative. So that's that's usually how, um, yeah, how, how they work from from what we've observed. Yeah, it makes sense. And you know, in the case of big box retailers or supermarkets, I suppose it's by necessity, isn't it? You can't have thousands of SKUs and, and be able to put a huge amount of time into them. But nonetheless, they've got to make sure things are right. I mean, doing the quality inspections, that's a good start. Yeah, that's sort of the minimum. And usually they know mm. about it, at least when they're experienced, right? Mm. But that it would just be a final inspection, you know, Come in, mm-hmm. check if there's any big problem. No big problem, let it ship, you know. So it's, it's that simple. Yeah, that's a good sort of sum, summarization of hands-off buyers. If we move on to hands-on buyers then, it won't uh, surprise everybody listening to hear that they're quite different and kind of very opposite. So, yeah, just yes. t- take it away on the hands-on buyers. Yeah, they're exactly opposite. So, in certain industries, is sort of a must. If you buy medical pro- medical devices, and especially if you develop a new medical device that needs to be certified for sale in the EU, mm. in in US, or in other developed countries, it's going to be a heavy process, and that that's sort of a um, an extreme right but you you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to make sure you're working with the right people uh, because you're going to be working with them for a long time and, and there's a very real risk of of prison if things yes. go wrong yes because in the end somebody has to take responsibility and if it's a medical device things could turn uh, really really ugly very fast so mm-hmm. if you if you develop a new medical device yeah that so, as I said, it's sort of an extreme. You need to make sure that they, um, you know, the, the, the whole process that would allow you to certify the product is, is complied with. And it's, it's a very heavy process, both for the, um, for the buyer and for the manufacturer, right? So I'm not going to go yeah, too deep into that because it's sort of an extreme. Sure. Oh, I should mention, yeah, the, the medical devices. Let's talk about Europe. In the European Union, if you buy some, if you, if you develop a new product and you want it to have the CE mark, meaning that it comes under one of the directives, you know, uh, low voltage machinery, et cetera, et cetera, 
uh, and mm-hmm. medical devices, you know, is one of them. If it's in uh, one of these product categories, it's got to have the CE mark. And the CE mark is not just on the product. It's always on the product and the manufacturer. I mean, it is on the product. Of course, manufacturer cannot be CE marked. But if you change from one supplier to the other, or if you move it from one factory to the next, it's not that simple. You need to mm-hmm. start the process over in you know in most of the cases, right? So you you're sort of getting married to the supplier, and um, you 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 can just you know find someone on Alibaba and do do a quick call on Skype or WeChat, and oh yeah, I have a good feeling. Let's keep going with these guys. This doesn't really work. I mean, it's very very risky. Right. Now, I would say any company that develops a new product from scratch and that that will require a relatively heavy development needs to be hands on. So if you if you if you design your own, I don't know, scarf, a simple kind of soft, soft good and you're going to buy it in relatively low quantity. No, I would say you 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 can be relatively hands off. The risk is not very high. The development is relatively simple. Now, if you develop, mm. I don't know, a new kind of drone, uh, I don't mm. know, for agricultural purposes or something, or, sure. or you know, there's a lot of different products. But the the design and the development work will take month and month, mm. right? Again. You you don't want to um, to work with anybody just because you found them in a convenient way and they have proper English and uh, and you, you you have a good feeling. You really need more than that. You really have to 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 be hands on in selecting them and qualifying them and in following up all of the the development process and everything because it's going to cost a lot of money. Except in some cases, if they say, well, okay, okay, we know exactly what we're doing. We are a specialist of drones. We're going to do it like this, like this, and we know exactly what we're doing. And we know we're going to put together a test plan. We're going to put together this and this and that. We know exactly what certifications to make. And we'll, um, we'll finance most of that work. Well, then, you know, yeah, go and focus on sales and marketing. And, uh, and you, don't, you don't need to be on top of everything. Uh, when it comes to development and manufacturing. Now, is that very, very common? Not so common, right? So if you develop a new product, again, that that will require a development of several months, you, you want to be much more hands-on, yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's about the products, isn't it? It's a good example, the drone, when you compare that to you know, a pen that gets given away at a conference. Uh, that you can see the very different uh, different requirements there. Absolutely. You mentioned you're probably going to be working with a supplier on that sort of product, a more advanced, uh, more complicated product for longer. That's where we come on to the benefits then of working in a more hands-on way with these suppliers. So I think there's a couple of key sort of benefits, ways that that doing so can reduce your risks. Well, if you work with the right kind of manufacturer, 
you will tend to have much fewer issues, much fewer nasty surprises. Hmm. Uh, and if you multiply that by, you know, the number of, let's say, interactions or, you know, impossible mistakes they might make for the next 10 years, it's really, really worth, you know, spending more time from the beginning and all along to make sure you, you work with the right people and you really communicate your needs and your requirements very carefully and make sure that they really get it, right? If, if you cannot tolerate, you know, again, nasty surprises, like quality issues, a lot of uh, delays and uh, a trading mm. company that changes the, 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 the manufacturer suddenly and, and some of the materials are not exactly what you wanted and all these kinds of issues. If you cannot take such risks, then you really have to be involved and you really have to to to, uh, to spend a lot of time on it, right? To be more hands-on. And just to, make, to, to be sure people understand when I say hands-on, it doesn't mean that the buyer has to do everything. Uh, there's a lot of companies on the ground in Asia that can do a lot of that work, right? It's not just us. There's really a ton of companies doing that. But still, they have to put the resources, right? That's the idea. They have to put the resources. Maybe they... Maybe they hire their own team in China, or, or in India, or in Vietnam, wherever they they, they have a lot of uh, a lot of work, uh, and that that's yeah that's being hands on. You hire your own team, or you you work with a mm. local service provider, or whatever. But you have to you have to be much more involved in the whole process. So what I'm what you mentioned, you had two benefits. So the the, the first one, as I mentioned. It reduces the number of potential mistakes and, and nasty surprises. And number two is that you get to know your category and the production processes much better. And you know your suppliers and what they can do much better. Mm-hmm. And that gives you a much better understanding about maybe the risks associated with such and such supplier. For example, you know, maybe this supplier is, is pretty good at machining, but when it comes to um, I don't know, sur- surface finishing, maybe plating, uh, it's qu- quite inconsistent versus that other supplier. Well, their machining skills are just okay, but surface treatment is always always good, right? It's just an mm-hmm. example. So you, you know your suppliers better, you make better decisions, you can see the risks better, so you know what to check uh, better. And you, you, you know which ones have certain strengths you know, for next time, maybe you want to develop a new product, you know that this one is a, a better suit than that one, right? So it's it's a lot of information when you spend more time getting involved in the process, supplier selection, new product development, manufacturing, follow-up, and so on. Mm. You will inevitably learn a lot, and that might give you some um, some ideas, right? Mm. So that, yeah, these are really two big, big, big benefits. Mm, good. Uh, and some of the, the tasks that you just mentioned there, like the the sourcing and, and all the rest of it, I mean, you went through those for the hands-off buyer and pointed out that they don't probably invest a lot of time and money into a number of the, the steps that uh, that we go through when we're going all the way from sourcing through to production and shipping. But conversely, with the hands-on buyer, they are going to be investing that time and money into all of these. And, and you get that enhanced control as well, don't you? Because you, you mentioned with the hands-off buyers, they might not 
be very very forceful on you know like their quality standard or or product specifications and things like that because they've got thousands of SKUs to get through but that those are things that the hands-on buyer would absolutely make very very clear right yes at least that's what they want to make clear Mm. whether they always make it clear is another topic but if they do it right yeah they make it clear yeah you're right when I say reduce the risk yeah uh, you you what you said is another way to, to, to look at it from another angle. Yes, it gives them uh, better control. It allows them to, to align what they require with what the manufacturer does much better. It gives them visibility to, um, to forecast risks and issues and take the necessary steps. Mm. And especially if they have you know proper contract and a clear standard and things like that, they can really hold their suppliers accountable for mistakes, which um, again, hands of buyers, uh, typically the, the, the non-professional, relatively inexperienced hands of buyers fail to do, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of them don't even try to get the supplier to sign a contract. That, that's enforceable you know it's what they and again as i mentioned they don't they don't even really document what they want and what they what they cannot accept they, they stay at the at a very superficial level you know they will mm. say something like um uh, i want a 16 gigabyte uh, memory or i want uh i want this in microfiber 92 percent um polyamide and uh and an eight percent spandex or something, but within that, there's you know it leaves a lot of space for the manufacturer to uh, oh yeah to 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 do you know to get things wrong. Hmm. Absolutely. Okay. And my last point here is when you're working with a supplier long term, as maybe hands-on buyers would if they're going through all of the development and production. Is there a risk that the supplier might then start to take advantage of you if they know that you're so sort of wedded to working with them? Um, yeah, if you don't always keep a backup, you know, and, and make sure that you don't invest too much time in a supplier, you don't, you don't invest in molds, you, you can just walk away anytime, you know, so that... Yeah, the dream of many hands of buyers, you know, is that is that okay, we can just walk out from a supplier anytime and go to another supplier. And they yeah. do a lot of things to uh to keep that uh that option as open as possible. With a hands-on buyer, you know, the, the general tendency is quite different. They tend to try to put together more of a partnership longer term partnership with a um with with fewer manufacturers and work closely more closely with them now mm. if these manufacturers then suddenly try to to behave in uh, non-ethical ways uh, they try to maybe lock in the uh, the buyer and say well whatever your molds you know we keep them or um oh this engineering work yeah we did it you paid for it but we don't give you the the, the files so you cannot really um you cannot really go away and get somebody else to to make it you know 
Of course, hands-on buyers are susceptible to, to, to be in that situation, more than hands-off buyers, mm -hmm. which really have not invested much at all in a relationship. Okay, but conversely, I might say that if you do not invest in the relationship, it's more likely that things will go wrong. <laughs> Certainly the case. So mm -hmm. and if, you know, um, the idea is to, to go deeper with fewer suppliers, the idea for hands-on buyers, right? Uh, work with fewer suppliers, help them uh, maybe develop their, their capabilities, improve their performance over time, be a really good fit for what the importing company needs. And well, most of the time, if they, if they keep a good relationship and they, they follow the right steps, things turn out okay, you know? Uh, but in in some cases, of course, uh, the manufacturer feels that, hey, I'm the only supplier, of, you know, in that product category to that company. There's nobody else who knows how to make that for them. Well, well, mm. well, you know, kind of a monopoly situation. Why would I try hard, right? So that that's mm. a um, uh, that's a risk. Of course, buyers always need to to be careful with that. <laughs> need to be very careful, especially if it's one of your core products, you might be sort of taken hostage. So um, keep, yeah, keep that in mind. Once they are in sort of a, a monopoly or quasi-monopoly situation, they can, they can inflate the prices way too fast. They can, they can think they can get away with really bad service, with delays, with poor quality and, and so on. So you still need to have a backup. You still need to, to always try to cultivate at least at least another supplier, you know, in each category. Mm. Right. And yeah. maybe one of them is is a bit more lower end and the other one a little bit higher. And even that's a problem because if one of them tells you, Yeah, I don't care, whatever, I don't want to do that, then you, you still don't really have a backup. So you need to think of all that. It's you know, it's it's a risk mitigation strategy. Of course, you should not skip it. Hmm. Yeah, good advice. And uh, protecting protecting the IP to you know discourage things like this. We've written a guide about that. Uh, share it in the show notes, of course. Actually, you did speak about developing backup suppliers. I think in the first episode in this series about sourcing, which if I cast my mind back, I think might be episode 69. I'll, I'll leave the links for all of this series there. You know, I think if you're sourcing, it's good to identify the sort of route you're going to need to take. I assume most listeners working for SMEs or, you know, if they're starting up a, a new venture, they're probably going to be favoured more by the hands-on approach. So this is a good reminder about that. Mm. Right, right. Yeah. I, I mean, to sum up, you need to know what makes sense for your company and mm -hmm. you need to adapt your, um, your strategy for, for sourcing, for new product development and so on to, uh, to, to your needs. And you need to pick the right kind of supplier for that. And you need to, um, to organize yourself internally. So having clarity of mind how about this? Do you want to be more hands-on or more hands-off? Uh, is 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 uh, is quite important, I would say. 
Mm, great. And now we know how to select between them. Thanks to uh, your, your good uh, explanation there. So great. That's brilliant. Back again next week. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophie's Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share because it will really help others discover us too.